Amen. Happy New Year to you. My, oh my, it's 2023. Man, the time just keeps rolling on, doesn't it? Just keeps rolling on. What a blessing uh, to be in the Lord's house today. And I just want you to know that I love Jesus Christ with all my heart. I believe that he's worthy of everything that we could possibly give him. I believe that he is worthy of all the praise, all the glory, all the honor because of who he is and what he has done for each one of us. You know, all I can say this morning is that God is faithful. He's been faithful to you. He's been faithful to me. And I I love that song. Uh, He's running his faithfulness is just just running after us, you know, his goodness and uh, what what a blessing it is. Um, This morning, uh, as we begin this new year, I want us to uh, focus in on um, uh, the next couple of weeks on the temptations of Christ. And so we're going to be in Matthew chapter 4. And if you have your scripture and want to open up to Matthew chapter 4, that's where we're going to be this morning. You know, think about, if you will, with me, uh, think about things that you consider to be central to your identity, things that you consider to be central to your identity. Now think about what it feels like to be challenged in that area, to have those things challenged. Think of what it's like to be challenged, for example, um, as a man or or as a woman. Um, You know, I I just want to say this, that, that our sexuality... Our sexuality is closely tied to our identity. We need to understand that. You know, in Genesis 1, verse 27, it says, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Okay, so our sexuality is closely tied to our identity. You know, so when, what's it like to hear questions like, um, you're not, (laughs) you're not much of a man, are you? Or you're not much of a woman, are you? And we think about how we respond to those kind of voices. Like the response is usually to silence those voices by proving them wrong. And that's a natural response for us. You know, when I was a kid, and I'm going to reveal some about my age here, um, when I was a kid in the, in the 70s, okay, um, there was a comedian named Flip Wilson, okay? Yeah, I'm getting some, some feedback there. And uh, he made this phrase, the, the national catchphrase, the devil made me do it. Okay, and, and as a host of his own TV variety show, uh, Flip Wilson, he, he created a reoccurring character um, named Geraldine. And every time her husband would accuse her of doing something wrong, whether it was buying a dress that was too expensive or crashing her car into the side of the church building, okay, the, the answer was always the same. The excuse was always the same. It wasn't me. The devil made me do it. The devil made me do it. And many of us grew up or or got used to hearing that catchphrase, the devil made me do it. And it affected the way that we see the devil. We believe that he has the power to make us, to make us do things. 
Or we imagine him as a little guy wearing a red suit with a, with a pitchfork sitting on our, our left shoulder, you know, whispering in our ear. And meanwhile, the, the, the other, on the other side, you have the little angel that is trying to get us to do the right thing. And, and, um, you know what? In the cartoons, the devil usually wins. In the cartoons. And I ask the question, is that how temptation works? Is that how temptation works? Is the devil equally as powerful as God? Can he make us do anything we don't want to do? I mean, the short answer is no. Jesus made it clear that the one who is in us is greater than he who is in the world. The one who is within us. And the truth is, is that the devil doesn't have any power over us that we don't let him have. We give it to him. We say, you can decide this for me. And it, it, we, it, he doesn't have that kind of power unless we give it to him. We need to understand that as, as believers in Jesus Christ. Oh, but he can be persuasive. And the closer we are walking with God, the harder he will work to get us off track. Now, I don't know what temptations you may be dealing with today. But if you are breathing, then you are battling. You are battling these temptations. You know, just look at Jesus. Look at Jesus. Jesus faced temptation. And probably the most definitive title for Jesus is the one called the Son of God, okay? When we see that title, we recognize that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. It is central to his identity. It is central to his calling. He is the Son of God. And Satan challenged Jesus' identity as the Son of God, and he tempted him to fulfill his call in a way that was contrary to God's will. He wanted him to do something other than what God wanted him to do. See, Satan offered Jesus the easy way to the fulfillment of his vocation, his, his role, his, his job, if you will. And Jesus resisted. And because Jesus resisted, we are saved. Because Jesus resisted, we are saved. You know, despite tremendous temptation, Jesus chooses to fulfill his vocation as the son of God in God's way, which results in our salvation. We receive the benefit from that. Now, the three temptations of Jesus fascinate us and we can study them and, and reflect on them and they can instruct us and enable us to comprehend uh, better what our calling is from God. And, and understand this, that Jesus's temptations his temptations help prepare us to deal with potential ministry derailing temptations. If you're involved in ministry, if you're, if you're working and serving, I mean, I, I look at it and it's like Jesus' temptations, they can prepare us to deal with those things that would take us off track. And then um, there's four factors that I want to give you as a background before we jump into our scripture um, but we need to keep them in mind as we go through the, the fourth chapter of Matthew in the, in the coming weeks as well. The first one is this, is that the temptations follow Jesus' baptism. 
The temptations follow Jesus' baptism. If you go up in chapter 3 of Matthew, verse 13 through 17, you read about the baptism of Jesus and, and, and how that went. And, and um, immediately after his baptism, the Holy Spirit came upon him and God affirmed him as his son. This is his identity as his son. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And so you have this, um, uh, when the Savior went into the wilderness, think about this, he didn't go to find himself. He didn't go in search of himself. He knew who he was and he knew his mission. He was going because the, the, it says the Holy Spirit led him into the wilderness. And I think that's important because Jesus knew his identity. He knew his calling. And, and folks, our baptism, when we are baptized, it symbolizes that we are newborn children of God. That we are newborn children of God. And, and baptism declares that we belong to God. You are his child. You are his son. You are his daughter and are ready for his direction in our life. But the crucial issue remains of how will we live out that identity? How do we live that out? I mean, we've, we, we've, we've made our life, we've done the things, we've surrounded ourselves with, with, with all of the things that we might call worldly or ungodly. How do we live out the calling to be the son of God? How do we, how do we, how do we live that out? And, and, and second, I would say that the Holy Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. He led him into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan. I mean, God's son, he had to wrestle. He had to wrestle with temptation. And, and we should expect as believers in Jesus Christ that we are going to have similar struggles. But understand this, that we are not left to face temptation alone. The Holy Spirit is with us. The Holy Spirit is with us. Indeed, the Holy Spirit may work to convert temptation experiences. Those times when we feel tried, those times when we feel tempted. He may use those times to make fruitful decisions in our lives. I want to call them defining moments. When we have the choice to go one way or the other, Satan would love to steer and direct us in the wrong way. But with the Holy Spirit, we have the ability to make the right choice. And all of a sudden, it becomes a defining moment in your life and mine. Third, I would say Jesus was not tempted to doubt his identity as God's son. He was tempted to choose the wrong way to express his sonship, okay? He responded by using scripture to define his ministry. He would not embrace any kind of messiahship other than the one chosen by him by the heavenly father. He wanted to do God's will. See, the, the temptation to conduct our ministries in ways that fall short of God's purposes or dishonor him is always with us. There's always something coming along that, you know, but Jesus' response to the temptations reminds us, <laughs> if you don't hear anything else I say, this is what you need to hear, that the means 
are as crucial as the ends. It matters how we go about the calling that God has called us with. It matters what we do. And, and, and the means are as crucial as the ends. Ministry must be done God's way. Anything less is a sin. Fourth, I would say this. Jesus triumphed over temptation and he moved on to begin his ministry of servanthood. See, his victory shows us that, <laughs> that we have hope in, in dealing successfully with our own temptation as we seek to serve God's purposes And as Christians, we are compelled to lead other people to Jesus Christ. And we're sometimes frustrated by the difficulty of reaching our our increasingly secular population. And we can also be afraid of failure, that maybe we're not doing what we should have done. So we need to hear the message of Matthew 4. And if we hear it well, we will find the wisdom and the courage to embrace a ministry style of costly servanthood. Costly servanthood. So here we have the first temptation. I'm going to get to my my passage here now. The first temptation, putting the needs of the flesh first. And um, that is the temptation to put the needs of our flesh first. But in Matthew 4, I want to begin in in, uh, verse 1 of chapter 4. I'm only going to read four verses this morning. Um, and we'll, we'll pick up there uh, next week with verse 5. But uh, verse four, uh, chapter 4, verse 1 says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the son of God, command that these stones become bread. But he answered and said, it is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Lord, I just want to thank you for your word. I thank you for how you speak to us through it. I pray, Father, that you would open our hearts and our minds. Give us ears to hear, to hear and eyes to see uh, the truth that you have. Father, we love you and guide us as we continue. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, it says there that Jesus spent 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness under the Spirit's leadership. The Spirit of God led him to this, and in some ways, he was kind of being tested like Israel was. They spent 40 years in the desert, but he's spending 40 days in the desert, and, but the, the, the reality is, is they failed, but Jesus didn't, okay? And, and, and I love this, because even soon after David, um, you know, Israel's ideal king, soon after he was anointed, He faced an undefeatable foe. You remember, he faced Goliath and he fought Goliath and he defeated Goliath by the power of God. Here you have, after God affirmed Jesus as his son, Jesus faced an undefeatable foe and Jesus won, defeating him with the word of God. 
You see a pattern here throughout the Old Testament and even into the New Testament. Jesus invested his time, it says, in prayer and fasting and was likely seeking to assimilate the shape that God would have his ministry take. When you have big decisions to make, spend some time with the Lord. When you have those big things that are weighing heavy on you, take it to the Lord. If you want to get serious about it, then fast and pray. That's what our Savior showed us here. Especially after the holidays, we don't like to hear about fasting, do we? This isn't a sermon on fasting. I'm just saying, if you fast and pray, you will get the Lord's attention. Because you're pushing the flesh down and you're allowing the spirit to flourish. So what message would Jesus, would he present to the people and, and how would he present it? He's, he's be embarking on this, this ministry. He's, he's been baptized, he's been affirmed by the Father. And, and what is that ministry going to look like? This is a key place, a pivotal place in Jesus's life and in his ministry. And when you think about this, I mean, what would be the center of his ministry? How would he measure success? How might he secure the loyalty of his listeners? And, and Jesus knew that these different options existed. His, his problem was to choose from among them. But listen, Jesus' questions are our questions. How are we supposed to live? How are we supposed to do the things that he calls us to do? How are we supposed to measure success? We know who we are, but we may be uncertain about how to express our identity. How do we walk as a believer in this world today? How do we carry out the mission? How are we to live for God, present the gospel, attract the lost, and help others get connected with the Lord? I mean, how will we attempt the goals and to achieve the goals of the Great Commission. I mean, choosing among the options isn't very easy. Listen carefully. Satan tries to turn pivotal moments, times of decision, to his advantage. When he knows we have a big decision coming up, He's going to try to move us to where it's the easiest thing for us to do, where we feel great about it, where, where there's no, no um, you know, interference, there's no, there's no conflict. And sometimes it is the peace of God, and sometimes it is the enemy trying to direct our paths away from God's best for us. See, our, our secular society, they feed that. You know, you shouldn't have to work this hard for it to be right. The enemy tried to divert Jesus' ministry down an unsatisfactorily, unsatisfactory, unsatisfactory route. But the devil came to the tired and hungry Jesus and he attempted to persuade him into meeting people's physical needs. To make that the heart of his ministry. 
And that temptation was and remains appealing. Just consider the dynamics of the temptation and and how to deal with it. I mean, the temptation begins by focusing on people's genuine needs. I mean, Jesus was hungry. He wanted something to eat. He wanted, he was hungry. He'd been fasting. And after his long fast, his, his empathy for the hungry people of the world must have been very high. I mean, Satan knew this and he, he tempted Jesus to center his life and ministry around bread, bread, meeting basic human physical needs. See, the temptation had a powerful appeal. I mean, Jesus could have argued that, well, well, God would want me to have enough of everything in order to do the, the ministry that he's given me. I mean, God would want us to have enough of everything. Why not use, why not use the power that you have to feed everybody? Think about that. Look at all the hungry people in the world. Why not use the power that you have to turn these stones into bread? I mean, he could feed all of them. What harm could that do? Jesus lived in a time when, when drought and famine occurred often. And even in good times, many people were, were, worked as day laborers. They would, if they found work that day, they would be able to get paid that day and they could go buy the food that they needed for that day. Most of them didn't have a, a permanent job, if you will, a steady job. And literally, if they didn't find work and didn't get paid, then they wouldn't have anything to go and feed their dependents with. This would have been a wonderful thing. And Satan tempted Jesus to present himself to the world in the pretense of being, you know, this this great humanitarian. I'm going to feed the world. If Jesus wanted to enlist large numbers of followers, he could do it quickly. And I'm pretty sure that free food would get the results. I mean, human nature has not changed at all over these centuries. If you want people to show up, feed them. I mean, is it any wonder, you know, that the the, the Baptist symbol is a casserole dish? People haven't changed. They still like to eat. And so, and so you, you think about this as always, Satan's temptation contained su- substantial elements of the truth. Jesus indeed did possess the power to change the bread, the stones into bread. He had that power. Neither he nor anyone else need ever be hungry again. If he had chosen to center his ministry around providing instant food to everyone, his ministry would have enjoyed immediate and numerical success. We still wrestle. We still wrestle with the temptation to make meeting physical human needs the core of ministry. In some ways, I want to say it meets our own need to feel that we're doing something measurable and something good. It often results in interaction with large numbers of people, some of whom come to know Jesus as their savior. We know of our own physical needs and the physical needs of, of others and empathizing with those who hurt. And this kind of ministry nearly always wins people's approval because it's so practical and so humanitarian. We're feeding people. We're helping them. 
I'm not, I'm not saying that we shouldn't. I'm saying sometimes we lose the focus of what we need to be about. I mean, what could be wrong with that approach to ministry? The temptation leads us to the error of treating the physical needs as if they were the ultimate needs. I can't say this strongly enough. While people do need their physical needs met, that is not their ultimate need. Their ultimate need is a savior in Jesus Christ. Now we can say, well, what they need is something to eat. You gotta feed them first. I get that. But ultimately, that is not what they need. Ultimately, people don't need us necessarily praying over a parts list. We are destined for glory. This world is not our home. What we need is prayer for people to come to Christ. We need to keep his ministry first and foremost, preaching the gospel, living it out. And what we need to understand this morning is that we give ourselves to whatever has ultimate value for us. If you believe that someone's life, that the ultimate value that they need is Jesus Christ, then you will be sharing Jesus Christ with them. But if you believe that what they need is something else, then you're going to invest in that. Understand, the temptation leads us into the error of treating physical needs as if they were ultimate needs. See, Satan tempted Jesus to act as as if food were the most important thing in the world. We're tempted to worship physical things rather than God. And if we do so, then we fall into idolatry and lead others to do the same. See, worship of physical things is the basis of idolatry. Whether it's, you know, worship of Baal or, or, or modern paganism, but, but Satan tempts us to center our lives around ministries that are created and not the creator. Can we resist this temptation and go on to serve in a ministry that honors God? See, the, the temptation can be overcome. And we need to dispose of two ineffective strategies and then embrace the one that Jesus modeled. First, I would say this. We cannot deny the reality of human needs. Obviously, they're all around us. Take hunger, for example. <laughs> I can go probably less than a mile, less than a mile from our church and find children and adults who have no food to eat and no money to buy it. Less than a mile. They may have be without hope of permanent employment. They may suffer the ravages of, of bad nutrition. Um, we know thousands across the world are dying of hunger every day. Their needs and pain cannot be ignored. You know, denying our responsibility to feed the hungry, that's not going to work either. We can't forget Jesus' words in Matthew 25 where he said this. He said, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. 
I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And verse 40 says, and the king will answer and say to them, truly, I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. We cannot deny the responsibility We have to embrace that. And the Lord expects us to meet human needs of all kinds, including hunger. But you see, it's the obedience to him that requires us to reach out to those in need. The need does not necessarily constitute the call. Our call is to him and obedience to him leads us to those who are suffering, those who are hurting. Secondly, I would say we cannot resist the temptation by argument. (laughs) Sometimes we are such reasoned beings that we want to argue every point. But hear what I'm saying. The devil is the master of dispute. He is the one who, who loves to twist things, clever in his use of words and reason. And if he can lead us to center our attention on arguments, he will be pleased and win. See, Jesus refuted Satan's arguments by citing scripture. But he did not cite scripture for the sake of argument. And there's a big difference there. Jesus cited scripture because it expressed the eternal truth and his deepest conviction that God alone, God alone is vital to life. What you need is God in order to live. It's not bread, it's not water, it's not relationships, it's not all of the stuff that we fill our life with. It is God who is vital to life. See, we we need to internalize that. We need to believe that. If physical substance had been the key to kingdom life, Jesus would have made it his theme in ministry Instead, he chose to preach the gospel of the kingdom. And that gospel stressed this, that God's rule in people's hearts is far more important than food for the body. More than having something to eat, more than filling your stomach, it is more important to allow God to rule in your life and in your heart. And that's what Jesus brought to the forefront in his ministry So I ask you the question this morning, do we share his convictions? Do we share Jesus's convictions? If not, we're vulnerable to that first temptation. We cannot truly believe God alone is crucial to life unless we've surrendered our lives to Jesus Christ. It comes through him. But I... I, Time and again, we understand the miracle of salvation plants this conviction within us and it sustains us. But we face a choice. We face a choice. The devil's diversions or doing it God's way. And if we follow Jesus, we will make God and the things of God central in our lives. We will embrace social ministries as acts of obedience and and compassion In Jesus' name. You remember in James, the book of James, it says that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Folks, perseverance is not just a quality for the mature Christian. 
It's an essential one. We have to have perseverance. And James goes on to say that perseverance must finish its work in a Christian follower so that he or she can be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So God is is going to do what it takes to produce that quality in us. So when these temptations come, it may be testing. It may be something that that God is trying to uh, increase uh, the perseverance in our life so that we will stay true to him no matter what. So let me just apply this and then I'll be done. What is an area of your life today in which you are being tempted? What area of your life are you being tempted in right now? Is it better to ask God to remove the temptation or to ask God to help you pass the test? Sometimes those tests are for our good and we have that choice. But again, the devil wants to divert those crucial moments, those pivotal moments toward him rather than for us to turn to God. Now, I'm not saying that if you're tempted to binge on sweets that you should go get a job in a chocolate factory. That's not what I'm saying. But realize that not every temptation can be easily removed. But God does provide a way of escape for every temptation. So, you know, the reality is we may be praying the wrong thing. We may be saying, Lord, remove this temptation. And he may say, come to me and I'm going to give you the strength to endure it. We need to be praying that prayer. Pray that you can pass the test. You know, when I was uh, working for a a large resort in Oregon, uh, our CEO was a a wonderful businessman and he was very very well respected and, and looked up to. And he used to tell us all the time in our staff meetings, time and again, he would say this. He would say, let's keep the first things first and the second things second. Keep the first things first and the second things second. You know, we can't go too far off track if we will do that in our life. I mean, I want to say this to you. Let's make 2023 a year where we put some points on the board for our King Jesus and for his kingdom. Let's make it count. I mean, we think about this. If we keep the first things first, We're going to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Secondly, we're going to love our neighbor as ourself. And we're going to exercise that in a ministry of service to those around us. Love God, love others, serve the world. Pretty simple. Love God, keep that first. Love others and serve the world. I'm going to ask if you would just bow with me for a word of prayer. As our worship team comes back up. Loving Father, we thank you for this time. And Father, I thank you for your word. And Lord, I pray that you would examine my heart. Father, to see if there are things that should be in first place that have moved down the the priority.